It is just past 18 hours, 31 minutes and 15 seconds, East African time. Time for John Sibi Okumu on Wednesday. This being Wednesday, the 28th of September, 2022. Hello and welcome. With subsidies for fertilizers being one of the first items on the agenda of the new government, in this episode, the topic of the moment will be soil conservation. Isn't it funny how the mind works? The very first association that came to mind was of my days in boarding school, when it fell to senior prefects to choose a passage and read from the Bible after prep. That is another word for homework. A popular selection was the parable of the sower. And you'll understand why it makes me think of soils and their productivity. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and brought forth fruit an hundredfold. Now, plan A is to abandon spiritual metaphor in favor of concrete science. A challenging undertaking because it is often difficult for scientists to explain their preoccupations to non-scientists. What is a good soil in scientific terms? And can bad soils, so to speak, be made better through science? Our mystery guest is a soil scientist. Now, let her hear some of the answers we got to the question, do you do anything to improve the productivity of your soil from year to year? But I'm not using the fertilizer because the fertilizer is on acid. That's why I'm using the compound manure. The manure from the goats are usually one of the best as compared to the cows. We do organic farming, especially on soil fertility. In the case we promote the soil fertility through use of potassium. The county government organizes trainings to farmers to teach them on how to use the compost manure, on how to use manure from the hens, the cows, the goats in their farms, we've come to realize that you can uh, improve uh, your soil fertility. The terraces, it has helped so much in ensuring that we retain part of the soil or the fertility of the soil within our farms and have production. I've been growth. reconditioning my soils by putting back the farmyard waste into the soil, recycling the main stocks and accompanying it with them chicken droppings. One of the things I've been doing to ensure that I retain the soil as well as the fertility, the crop protection. During every harvest, we are able to recoup uh, back the remains of uh, the maize. Uh, we cut it into pieces, we make trenches on the farm and then we, we pour them there so that we can increase the soil fertility. Uh, I'll just uh, encourage the agricultural extension officers to just uh, get out of their offices and go to the villages where our farmers really need their help. What modern ways to at least the level of productivity and the soil fertility can be increased. Uh, doctor, if I may, I apologize. Maybe some of those responses were unclear. But um, before you comment on what you've just heard, Doctor, Perhaps we can be, um, I can reveal that you're an American. Therefore, there's an expression in the American language about being on the same page. So I'd like us very much to be on the same page by asking you the simple question, um, what is soil to a scientist? Well, soil is the biologically active layer of the Earth's surface. In fact, we often say it is the skin of the Earth. 
Essentially, it's the foundation of life on land and has five components. Water, air, minerals, organisms, and organic material. Okay, so I'm listening. Does that mean that if I'm digging a borehole and I go so many feet underground, I will cease to have activity with the soil and I'll be dealing with some other scientific thing? In fact, yes. As you start approaching um, the center of the earth and go deep into the profile, you actually are entering geologic material. And so soil is the active, the biologically active layer of the earth's surface. And so we're talking about possibly, you know, one to 10 meters deep of soil in some areas. But below that, you're often entering rock. Okay, got it. Soil gives way to rock. Um, So again, I sort of know the answer, but you're the expert. Why is soil important? Ah, soil is the basis of all life on land. It is what... Do you know what? I'll just cut you short. With other guests here, we've had guests who've said uh, food is life and life is food. Others who've said water is life and life is water. Now you're saying soil is life and life is soil. (laughs) Who's going to win the contest? Well, in terms of needing to grow our crops, 95% of all of our crops are grown in soil. So we're incredibly dependent on soil and interconnected with its health. So the more healthy the soil is, the healthier we are. So um, let's go back to the uh, the voices of the people, uh, so to speak. They, they were sort of drowned out by um, noise, pollution, cars honking and all that kind of thing. But from what you've heard, and as an expert and a continental expert at that, do you feel again, there's a phrase, do you think the people have got the message? Are they doing the right thing? Oh my goodness, I was so inspired by what I heard. What I heard is that farmers are investing in their soil. Everyone was talking about what they are doing to improve the soil health. They hinted that they are concerned with the health and fertility of their soil, which means they already recognize the importance of healthy soil. and. They also highlighted that through stewardship, through actual care of the soil, they could improve it. People mentioned reducing erosion through contours. People mentioned crop rotation, so having diversity of rooting depths and diversity of crops, soil cover, and the most common um, mention was of inputs. So people were talking about locally available inputs. I heard goat and cow manure, and this is absolutely fantastic. Well, uh, I think we're preempting the end in a way because I do wish to come back towards the end and look to long-lasting solutions, as it were. But I think I'll I'll draw you on several headline uh, issues uh, of our times. One of the very first things that the new government talked about, for anybody who listened to the presidential speech, said we're going to swear in all the judges, and we're going to make it possible for the easier input of fertilizer. Now, I'll let you into a secret. I do not have a farm. I do not grow my maize and beans, so I'm possibly atypical in that regard. So my questions are genuine, uh, this idea of fertilizers. When I was doing my uh, preparation for you, for talking to you, not everybody was keen on this word fertilizer. And in fact, I dare say, I'd go as far as to say that it's a bad thing. So is the government encouraging us to do bad, going back to my biblical injunctions about good and bad soil? Fertilizer is bad, and we're having lots of fertilizer brought in at an affordable price. Well, as a soil scientist... I am so pleased when anyone mentions soil, agriculture, and the need to improve soil health. So I think when we look at, and I did listen to the inaugural speech and did hear the mention of fertilizers, I think it was, it could be interpreted as the real need that we must take action to improve soil fertility and soil health in Kenya. Now, one thing that is very important to understand 
is that there's no one solution that will work for every farmer. And we cannot have such a simple statement as all fertilizer is bad or all fertilizer is good. What I would like to point out is that when we have a functioning soil ecosystem, we have organic matter, we have soil organisms doing some nutrient cycling, the use of fertilizer is much more efficient and we will actually need less fertilizer. Well, you know, there's something there, I'm listening carefully. This word, we're just using the word fertilizer as though it were all the same. Now, when I go off shopping, um, I've, I've always got like, you know, a thousand brands of soap, a thousand types of rice. So in other words, uh, do I just walk into a shop and say, fertilizer, please? And I also talk to people and say, you need fertilizer when you're planting crops and then you wait for the rains to come and you have some more. Uh, so I'm, I'm setting you up to say that or to suggest that if we make a mistake in our choice of fertilizer, we do irreparable damage to the soil. It's a very good point. And actually, I'm not a fertilizer expert, but I do know that there are many different types of fertilizer and some of them really require a very strict regime of when they are applied and how they are applied. And so you're absolutely right. Having blanket recommendations, not only of when to apply, but how much and what grade, not, won't necessarily solve all of our issues. And also, may I ask whether it's, it will always prove necessary to use fertilizer? And I'm going back into historical time where there are beloved ancestors, you know, with the spirits living in the forests and everything else. They weren't using fertilizer, but they fed themselves and the general populace for ages and ages without using fertilizer at all. You're so why the need for it? You're absolutely right. So in traditional systems, there was a closed cycle. And actually, there's been a really fantastic article published recently for popular media about the ancient practice of um, replenishing soil uh, using human waste. And now with urban sanitation systems, that's just absolutely not possible. There's just too much pressure on natural resources. So we've had to dramatically change how we farm. And that has often pulled us away from those traditional systems. What I find interesting in agriculture now is it's almost like a cycle where we're actually going back and saying, oh my, how can we use the manjani, the leaves of the trees, and compost it and put it on the soil to cover it and add nutrients? How can we use the manure of the cows and the goats and the chickens, as the farmer said, to compost it, put it back into the soil? And really closing that cycle, because what happened over since the 70s is we really had a linear path, input fertilizers from very far onto the farm. And now we're finding when we have a more closed cycle on the farm, we don't need to rely so much on these um, inorganic fertilizers. There's still an important role for them, I think, but it's not black and white anymore. Right, so I'm going to see uh, these fertilizers basically on land where one can grow crops, and I'm seeing trees and fertility, and I go back, oh gosh, we, school, we read the Bible, but at school, let's stay to that part of Kenya, where, which was arable. And I do believe that so many years ago, 50 years ago, only 23% of Kenya was arable when I was doing my O-level geography. And let's stay there for a moment and go to this topic about planting, reintroducing the shamba system, going into the forest, they're all having a whale of a time, and going into them to plant food. I know this is a sensitive topic. I know that you're not a politician, but you are a scientist. Is it a good f thing for us to go in there and destroy the forest so that we can have a, an increased yield of maize every year? Well, and that's that's how the layman, how, that's how the layperson would see it, because it it seems to me that there's going to be a level. Again, there's always a sort of coded message in my questioning. There's going to be a level of degradation. Things were fine as they are, and once again, man is going in there with some sort of newfangled solution um, to, that suits him. 
Yes, and I think it's about... (laughs) Thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think it's also about your interpretation. So, one, yes, Kenya actually has a long history of cultivating trees alongside crops. So having trees in agricultural areas. And this is critical component of agriculture because it can improve soil health, and we call that agroforestry. But this type of farming took place in a very low intensity and also was considered ecologically sustainable. But now, as I've mentioned, we have increased pressure on our natural resources. And so this low intensity farming is not always an option, and especially here in Kenya, where we have, um, you know, 80% is rangelands or drylands, and the rest, as you said, is uh, arable. So I don't think the answer is simple, but I do think that these natural habitats, including forested systems, need long-term solutions, and that the forests we have left in Kenya are incredibly important. They're hosting biodiversity. There are water towers. And if we lose these forests, if we lose their integrity, then this actually will have potentially negative impacts of agricultural areas adjacent or downstream from them. So I think it's very important that this concept of conservation um, of existing forested systems is important, but there is huge potential to incorporate trees into agricultural lands. And I heard also the Shamba system is also about planting tree seedlings, caring for the new seedlings alongside agricultural crops. You know what, Doctor? We have to stop for a moment. The best mix of music. Capital FM. Doctor, I've just introduced you to our marvellous jingle, but we must go back to soils, and um, I'm not going to let this um, shamba system bone uneaten for that long, in the sense that if people are uneducated, the pictures that accompany the idea of any kind of invasion of forest land is that the trees are cut down and there's a knock-on effect. People want firewood. Uh, People are not just going to plant their crops and go and live away and sort of come and look at them every day because somebody would steal them. So I'm saying, well, you don't know the answer to this question, but how would you think that the government is going to manage the good management of forest use? It's an impossible task. It's a really good question, and I think that idea of how you supervise or assess the management and what is good management is incredibly difficult. And I do know that with the Kenya Forest Service that they're also very interested in understanding the health of the soil in the forest. So I think it's not just about the trees, right? It's about the healthy soil. It's about the water that's being absorbed and held in that forest soil. and providing the water to Nairobi, right, that we're drinking here. And it's also about the biodiversity, the birds and the insects and the frogs and everything else, not to mention, you know, elephants, that really depend on an intact ecosystem. So I think that your point about how you can ensure it will be sustainably managed is incredibly tricky and why we need to be very careful. Right, we're going to go back. Let's always park the idea of solutions because I'm going to say, great guru, tell us the way forward. What shall we do? But for the moment, we're going to change tack. Now, uh, we've had forest as a key word. Now, rangeland, when I first came across the idea of rangeland, I sort of saw, you know, cowboys and Indians, you know, the Lone Ranger going off into the range. But it just meant land where it's a bit drier, it's a bit more deserty, uh, and now, what are those people going to do? Because in my uh, researches, again, I found that there were uh, invasions of certain plants, propsis, madenge, <laughs> some kind of awful things that were doing everything to degrade the soil. And whatever was there, the water was being removed 
by the plants that were growing. Now, you know why that causes me a certain amount of anxiety? I thought that if you plant things in the soil, then they will retain the water and the moisture and the soil will be good. But it seems to me that you can have things that do nasty things to the soil and again certain trees if you plant them grevillea they will go in there and they'll take all the moisture uh, so comment on that comment on that well actually it, it makes me think about something that's a very important concept when we talk about land management is that the ecosystems are so diverse forests are diverse rangelands are diverse agricultural land is diverse but even within rangelands, there's diversity. So whatever s management practices we do need to be tailored to that context. And also the th thread that I'm hearing throughout this conversation is about management and how important management is. And actually there's a fascinating story about Mathenge here in Kenya. And I'm not sure I'm the best person to tell it, but my interpretation of it is that it was actually brought in to Kenya to stop soil erosion. Oh. In Baringo. Okay. So what is that phrase that's so popular? Unintended consequences? You may have the best intentions, but sometimes if we don't understand the ecological complexity, things can go wrong. So it was brought in, and now it is really spreading. It's an invasive, and so... It is so common now that even people are finding uses for it, such as charcoal production. So the cycle continues. Yeah, that, the, the cycle <laughs> continues, but we're, we're hearing this about other things. I, I know you're the soil person, but we could say the same thing about water hyacinth on Lake Victoria. We could say the same thing. I'll tell you something about my grandma. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, the, 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 the fish of the moment was tilapia, tilapia zilai, ingeke. So there we are all having a whale of a time. And then into the lake was introduced Nile perch, which my you know dear, dear grandma, bless her soul, wouldn't eat because it was such a huge fish. It was you know reminiscent of the devil. And, but, and it's also the size of a human being. But guess what? Uh, the Nile perch has invaded the lake and uh, the tilapia and all the other little delicacies that I won't go into because I only know how to name them in my mother tongue, they've disappeared. The point of my story, the takeaway of my little Aesop's fable, is that science can get it wrong. And <laughs> how are we to trust science when it can reverse things in such a terrible fashion? Well, actually, I would argue that it wasn't science getting it wrong. I think it was the lack of science in these decisions, uh, especially in terms of the prosopis. I think that what we need is more collaboration between science and development so that these things don't keep happening. Prosopis is one example. There's another example. So Prosopis is exotic, but there's another example in the northern rangelands. It's an indigenous tree. It's called Acacia rafisiens, And it naturally exists, but when the land, the soil is so degraded, it actually can start taking over and becomes uh, the predominant tree across the landscape. Now, a tourist may come and think it's absolutely beautiful, mm. but as a scientist... <laughs> yes. It looks good in the pictures, too, standing beside it. <laughs> it does. <laughs> yes. So it's very important that we have this collaboration with local knowledge, scientific knowledge, to inform development and investments. Otherwise, we will run the risk to keep making these decisions that neg have negative consequences well uh, i'm going to stay in the rangelands there they are they're, they're spreading uh, we've got four minutes in which to stay with them and i'm going to stay with the key word degradation and we're going to spill over into the next segment if we but degradation is the idea of man uh, us people women wananchi and here we are now We've been talking about degradation caused by prosopis, you know, cacacia, these fancy names. But human beings are also, there's the pastoralist with his cows, uh, hundreds of them. I know, sadly, now with the drought, a lot of them are, are dying. 
But the idea that a person had to have a herd to be a real man or woman in that, you, you had to have your herd of 4,000 cows. Now, again, you've, you, you've, you've worked out my question. Man is the baddie, but we can't control man or woman. <laughs> well, I think first we have to understand what is degradation. So when something is degraded, it is no longer able to provide all the services, right? Holding water, growing crops, growing trees, providing. So when a system is degraded, then it's just unable to provide those services. And yes, I know that some definitions of degradation are always human-caused, but I think humans can also be part of the solution. And I think right now, we are just entering such a critical threshold in terms of pressure for natural resources, pressure for land, that we have to do more to take care of the soil. So in the past, pastoralists had a very clear system of how to maintain healthy grasslands for their cows and camels and goats and sheep, right? It was reserve grazing grounds. We've actually done research and interviews and stakeholder engagement and found now many, many communities are all going to the same exact reserve grazing grounds. And guess what? There is no Nguajit, no Nyasi. There's no grass there. The soil has been eroded. And there's this upcoming of these new invasives and even indigenous invasives. So now we need a different mentality of, okay, we need to do more active um, restoration. And back to the comments at the beginning, all of those farmers were actively doing soil restoration, soil stewardship. And so I think it's a you know, behavior change. We were very spoiled in the past, and now we actually really need to take action. Well, it's going to be time for another break. Uh, this this is a conversation since um, soil is life, I think is a conversation that could go on forever. But uh, we're going to have a quick break and come back and continue. Daktari, um, here we are, back again, and I'm going to go back to, we're still in our rangelands, and uh, we're going to stay there for a while, because I remember my childhood statistic. It hasn't changed, you know, um, in the 50 or so years that I quit high school. Uh, if it's still 20 uh, arable to 80 non-arable, again, that's a sort of damning um, revelation that things haven't changed. So doesn't that sort of preempt what you do as a professional, that for all these years we've been working at it, we've known the statistic, but it doesn't change? Well, actually, I think that having 80% rangelands in Kenya is fantastic. Ooh. I think having rangelands are... The defense of the rangelands. <laughs> that is a hashtag for this program. The defense of the rangelands. Tell me why. Absolutely. Rangelands, grasslands, savannas host amazing biodiversity. In fact, most of Kenya's tourism is based on these rangelands and grasslands, right? Including the Maasai Mara, the Amboseli ecosystem, northern Kenya. Another funny thing about rangelands, they're dominated by grasses. Did you know that grass roots can be four times deeper than the above ground bits? No, I did not <laughs> know. Full stop. Uh, and did you also you. know that these grasses have fine roots that extend from the main roots and they die off every year, these fine, fine roots. And do you know what those roots do? They put carbon, they put organic matter back into the soil, not just in the top 10 or 30 centimeters, but deep one So meter. you're saying we should be really glad that we're, we're tending towards desert. <laughs> it's not tending towards <laughs> desert. It's absolutely fantastic we have these rangelands. And also they provide 
Habitat for Wildlife, but also our very important livestock population, camels, goats, and sheep. And I think everyone who eats meat in Kenya can be very proud of the quality of the beef coming from these rangelands. They're an incredibly source of protein for Kenyans. Okay, uh, it's unfair on you uh, being maybe something of an outsider, but working here. But uh, you know, you work for us, and we w- this again topics of the moment. This idea of um, uh, a struggle between pastoralists and people who own great swathes of land—that's one. And the other thing that's coming up in the news, I just coming up in the news. You don't need to comment that somewhere you describe these grasses that maybe the Maasai Mara might become the world's greatest avocado plantation. Now, these things, will they make, we stick to soils, will they make the soils better? To have pastoralists roaming around with lots of cows, to have people digging up the soils to plant mangoes so that we can challenge Brazil. Uh, our children and our children's children, are we really setting them up for success with these initiatives? Well, first, to address that first comment about competition, there's always competition. You were saying pastoralists versus large landowners. I think there's always going to be competition for land resources, and this is not going away. So not to I, mention the animals who live there. Our dear friends, the elephants, and then, you know, they've got people who are great, you know, um, campaigners for elephants, leave them alone, let them move from one end to the other, and the wildebeest. These are all, surely, I'm just trying to go back to this S-word soil, all these things going on must either continue pretty much as in the past, or something must stop in the way that you tell a kiddie to stop playing now and go to bed. When, when is the, what's going to stop? Well, first of all, kitties never listen when it's time to go to bed, and I think it's the same. <laughs> well, I do. I always <laughs> used to listen to what mommy said, but that's another topic. But I think the point about large animals needing big space is very important because they are our canaries in the in the mine, right? Because if they have healthy ab- habitat, then we know that this ecosystem is functioning, and also. Now I'm going to be I'm going to be rude because again what we we I I believe that an elephant for one eats something like well a lot of vegetation in a day and if there are lots of them they're going to be eating the uprooting the soils and the soils will be degraded the human beings are with their cows and there are lots of them and they're degrading the soil the psoppitis is growing in abundance and the soil is having a rough time here I seem to think I actually would challenge you and anyone listening to pay attention to what elephants since we're talking about them as an example what they eat and it's fascinating how they can all munch the family groups and when they leave you don't even notice they were there because, in fact, they don't uproot the grasses. The trunks are pulling uh, the grass tufts, but they're not de- taking out the roots. And also, they're finding the nutritious forbs in between. But the point is... I didn't know that either. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's so nice to have you here. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> what a wealth of information. It's, it uh, is. Okay. It's fantastic to watch <laughs> them and how they really can live in harmony with these grasslands. But I do want to comment on your avocado plantation. And this goes back to my other point that management needs to be to take in consideration the context. So avocados are nutritious food for us and for um, for us to eat. But they are not necessarily appropriate to be grown in all environments. So I think we really need to understand what is the right tree or crop for the right place and also remembering how much we rely on these protected areas, as I said, for biodiversity, for the pollinators of the crops, for the water tower. So management, management, management is always going to need to consider the context. I'd like you to, another image that comes to my mind, Doctor, is this idea of um, urbanization, big towns. And uh, again, I go back to my um, kitty. Uh, black and white TV movies where in America was there the bison, a uh, wonderful animal. Uh, there were bisons walking all over the place. But because of urbanization, 
there's sort of like you know a thousand of them left in some sort of park somewhere so as our population increases because we're whatever population we are now let's not but it's going to increase the population of the world is going to increase from however many billion to another three billion by the year you know the statistics so where I'm coming from with here with our dear friends the soils how soils versus urbanization is there a wonderful equation that ends up with a happy formula ideally yes and as much as I'm an advocate for rangelands I'm also an advocate for agricultural land I can see new developments in some of and, the and I was also suggesting by the way cities huge yes. cities sprawling you know whatever US city is the biggest that's taken over <laughs> yeah yeah but when we're in the Kenyan context there are some very fertile and deep soils in for example Kiambu County and whenever I see a new development you know pavement coming it really hurts my heart because once fertile agricultural soil and land is converted to an urban setting it almost never goes back and so I do think that that's where some planning some zoning must come in so that we are also protecting our healthy soil okay just before the break there's also the idea of soils and politics and and a sad uh, image to uh, think about here uh, I, without naming names in this context we all know of the the poor dear woman who lost her life recently simply because she was protecting the forest but there were so many powers stacked against her we can name the dear departed Wangare Madai because she won the Nobel Prize but she also had cuts and bruises because people uh, she was trying to protect an ecosystem where people wanted to build sort of a thousand fifty block flats well I think that our voice is very important and I think having an education and awareness of what needs to be done is so important and I really think that everyone <laughs> needs to use their voice youth elders need to be teaching youth uh, scientists need to be I, I speaking out I, I never like that phrase where everybody has to speak out because most people that I meet maybe they're all wimps but they're <laughs> they're afraid to speak out speaking out comes at a price but you can but speak out in many different ways. You can speak out by some. planting trees, right. by caring by for action. your soil, by yeah. actually, you know, writing books or actually using your physical voice. So there's many ways to speak or out. Or having a program such as this <laughs> exactly. upon which we discuss these deep and weighty issues. But let's get serious for a moment. I want to go back to this image of um, isn't at some point isn't the scientist going to appeal to government and to politicians and and speak directly to them so in other words uh, are you going to write an article an op-ed in one of our papers with your name on it and say this is what I think about one of these pressing issues or are you just going to stay in your lab uh, getting your statistics and data and saying Armageddon will come in three weeks time well I think Anyone who knows me knows that I prefer to be out in the field and also using my voice and my written words. So I think it is our duty as scientists to use the data that we're collecting to generate this evidence and bring it forward into a digestible, usable form for, you mentioned policymakers. Digestible? I I, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 well, not sort of like eat it, but I haven't seen. I, I see billboards you know, say, buy this perfume, buy this suit. I haven't seen traveling through Nairobi a huge billboard saying... Healthy soil. Yeah. So isn't that, isn't that a great lack? Because it's not in your face. So we're driving around, living the lives that we've always done, and you're saying that the soils are our number one key to continued existence. Okay, so now I have a new goal. Get some billboards up, healthy soil for a healthy planet, for yeah. healthy people. But you're absolutely right. I think scientists, we have to do a better job at communicating. We, it's our responsibility to make sure we're bringing the evidence to back to the people. I totally agree with you. Well, we're going to have one final break. 
and I'll tell you what's going to happen now because I've got I've got it off my chest. All my sort of um, uh, pressing, burning, raging questions. I think I've got. We've dealt with fertilizers. We've dealt with people doing this, that, and the other. Now that you're here, in our last segment, I'm going to listen to you uh, uh, pointing to the most salient issues and speaking to us as citizens and the role that we can do to make things better. And, and maybe we can wind back to our Vox Pops and should everybody be doing what we heard? Are they doing it? Um, let's save the world in the next 15 minutes. But for now, we'll stop. Daktari, 19 hours, 17 minutes and 11 seconds. Our party trick is to keep on going until 7.30. Maybe the thing to do is to go back to our dear parable and say, uh, how can bad soils be made better through science? And maybe this is the time for you to pontificate, if you will. What is the takeaway of your profession of all your years of research as it pertains to Kenya and since we're all Africans together and Africa is a country to Africa well I think one of the most exciting things about my profession is that we know that we can improve soil health and this is something that I really appreciate about being a soil scientist is it's not all doom and gloom and that we actually know what to do to improve soil health. And I would like to just take a step back and put it in perspective again, because when the land is degraded, not only can the grass not grow, the crops not grow, the trees not grow, but also we're having a real economic devastation. So if countries invest in healthy soil, then we will actually stop having such negative financial impacts. So the other point about our soil science research, and this comes through monitoring, this comes from sampling soil across Kenya, across the tropics, is that a functioning soil ecosystem requires that we have biologically active organisms, we have organic matter, and So when we're designing interventions, we just need to follow those principles. If you remember, I said, soil is like the skin of the earth. So it needs to be covered. When we are trying to produce crops or even in the rangelands, that soil needs to be covered. So in agricultural land, it can be covered with cover crops, with leguminous, beans that I'm sure you've seen on your parents' farm or your neighbors. And if we're in the rangelands, it's about covering it with grasses and forbs. It is when the soil is not covered when we really start to have issues. We know that we're, we've been experiencing a drought here in Kenya. And then after, during this drought, the soil that's uncovered becomes what? Hard. And then once we finally get that much-needed rainstorm, it often doesn't come gently and smoothly. It comes in a torrential downpour. And what happens is the soil just cannot absorb the rain, the water. And so it does what? It runs off. And it carries with it any (laughs) topsoil that may be needed. So I don't know if you've been to northern Kenya. I have. So sometimes you see little pedestals of, and little stones on top of these pedestals on the soil. That's when a rainstorm has come, it's eroded loose soil away, and then you're left with these pedestals. And back to my point about keeping the soil covered. That's one of the first principles. I'd like to go draw you on two things, monitoring and testing. And I'm going to give you again a layperson's perception. I go back to the village and we've been generations of my people have lived on it. But I doubt highly 
that they've picked up or a spoonful or a bucketful and taken this soil to be tested uh, to see whatever it might need to contain potassium, calcium, whatever all the scientific needs are. Uh, how is that ever going to be? How can you, as a as a citizen, perhaps not that well educated, begin the struggle when you don't know how to improve your own soil? Well, I think that soil testing is incredibly important because the more you learn about the soil, the more you want to protect it, the more you want to conserve it, the more you appreciate it. And there's many different ways to test. Certainly, observing the soil physically, whether or not it's compacted or not, or what is the texture. But but, my, but wouldn't I need to know what, what name my soil is, like the name of my <laughs> child? Red cotton, black cotton, blueberry hill soil. <laughs> Don't I need to know? Well, if we're talking about productivity, it would be, it's very helpful to know the content of certain elements. So we can call them nutrients in the soil. So for example, the carbon content, the nitrogen content, the magnesium, potassium, calcium. In fact, one of the farmers mentioned he applies um, inputs for potassium. So in fact, understanding how much of those nutrients are in your soil is incredibly important to know how to manage it. And actually, science has completely advanced in this area of monitoring. We've reduced the cost by one-tenth. We now have sampling designs that can really assess plots of farmers' fields um, and how healthy the soil is across large landscapes. We have revolutionized soil testing and monitoring. And actually, Kenya, is really advanced in terms of the lab facilities, uh, including at where I work and where I lead, and so also I could the government. So I could take a bucket full to where you work and have my soil from my village tested in fact, and I'm, given an exam report. I'm, Good soil, continue the way you are. I'm going to insist oh. that you bring it to our lab, right. and then we can discuss your results. And actually, more and more farmers are interested in learning about the nutrient content of their soil, and having this information will inform how we manage. But the other point is that by monitoring the soil, we can also understand how our management is impacting it. And what we are really keen on now is understanding how our efforts are restoring the soil health, how we're increasing the soil carbon. And I hope Kenya will put soil organic carbon into their nationally determined contributions because this is a really important climate change mitigation uh, opportunity to store carbon in our soil through management. One last question, and that is about, we talked about politics within the country, but now continentally, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? Or do soils never transgress national boundaries? So in other words, if, I, if we're sort of uh, happy here, we shouldn't really be concerned about what's happening in Ethiopia, and we shouldn't really be concerned in what's happening in Somalia because it'll never get to us. We should absolutely be concerned about what's happening everywhere, and especially when we talk about storing carbon in soil for climate change mitigation and adaptation. This influences and affects all of us, so we absolutely should be concerned. But we can also learn. But are there protocols in your professional life? Do you go to, do you sort of like sign things the same way they do, say we don't know, no nuclear weapons? Is there... Uh, are there such conventions with regard to the soil internationally? There's absolutely the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification, which is a global convention to really rally people to understand how to mitigate drought and to improve health, soil health. S but I think it's important that we understand the role of national and local actions to improve soil health. So locally, that's the farmers we heard, improving the soil health on their plot. Nationally, integrating soil health considerations into policy is really important. Doctor, it's time for the mystery to be over. Who are you? What is your name? I was going to say, what are you doing here? You're talking to me, but what's your name? <laughs> My name is Lee Winnewicki. I'm a soil scientist, and I lead the Global Research theme of soil and land health at C4E Craft based here in Nairobi, Kenya. Right. I'm interested, as, as we are with all our guests, 
did you just wake up one fine day in a dream and say, I'm going to become a soil scientist? Was your great-great-grandfather a soil scientist? How did you end up being what you are? <laughs> Actually, my undergraduate degree is in chemistry, and my first job out of college was to design a s soil test kit. And that's when I just immediately became fascinated to understand how complex the soil ecosystem is biologically, chemically, physically. So I ended up doing my master's in soil chemistry and then my PhD in soil science and agroforestry. Right. So uh, I'm also just for the for the for the young and our uh, our listeners are that. What are the fulfillments of of your particular profession? <laughs> are there any? Sorry, are there any? Let's go backward. <laughs> well, there you are, sweating with a sort of you know safari cap in the Sahara Desert. There's no 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 no, no positives. Well, I think as a soil scientist, we really want to encourage everyone to take care of the soil, to recognize its importance, and to make sure that everyone knows that they have a role to play. It doesn't matter if you're in the urban setting, you can be protecting some soil in a pot. If you're on a small plot of land like I am, I have growing, I've been growing my own food my whole life. So really taking care of the soil. Everyone has a responsibility, and that's the best thing. It's possible through soil stewardship. Okay, I'm going to ask you again about the job that you do, eight to five. Uh, are <laughs> I you... wish it was only eight to five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, gosh, you, you never sleep. <laughs> non quam dormo, poor dear. Um, so you never sleep, but w w w when you are awake, um, do you meet other people, or what do you do, a day in the life of? Um, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. A day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. <laughs> a day in the life of Lee Winnowicki. Well, absolutely. We do a lot of field work. We're out in the field. We're sampling soil. We have a very systematic sampling design, engaging with farmers, engaging with government, engaging with stakeholders. And then, of course, running and organizing our soil lab with the amazing team we have here in Nairobi at C4ECraft, writing papers, doing a lot of data analysis. So I'm probably one of the luckiest people because I love what I do and it's so diverse what I do each day. We have to stop there. Uh, do continue to give us feedback, hopefully positive and reassuring, on the Twitter handle at Capital FM Kenya or drop us a text or WhatsApp message on 0701-984-984. I've been talking to soil scientist Dr. Lee Winowiki and you've been listening to John Siviokumo on Wednesday I got that that was easier to say much obliged thank you very much until next time <laughs>